Joining us right now is somebody I can actually say is my cousin, second cousin. And he's uh, and once out of the family, and once out of the family very badly. <laughs> yes, uh, is uh, Eddie Matz uh, from ESPN and ESPN.com. Ed, how are you, my friend? Doing all right. You're doing all right. All right. You're here with Craig. That's a, that's a typical Eddie Matz that's response. A, huh? He's doing all right, he's man. Mr. Cool. Sorry, he I'll, is. I'll try and be. I'll try and be someone else. Right. Uh, <laughs> I am stupendous. Great. Superlative, never better. All right. There you go. Did you get to see your brother uh, yet? Uh, Kenny? I did. Yeah, how, alive in the flesh. How's he doing? He is stupendous. Superlative, he's, he's never superlative. better. All right. Super. <laughs> super. Hey, uh, Ed, just wanted to get, you know, normally I don't like to beat the same uh, rug with each guest, but got to chat about the reports that are surfacing now that really shouldn't come as gigantic surprises, that it looks as if uh, all the signs are pointing to the Orioles parting company with Buck Showalter at the end of the year. Have you heard these reports and your thoughts on them? Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing what you're seeing, hearing what you're seeing, um, hearing what you're seeing, seeing what you're hearing. Yeah. Brain, wake up. Um, <laughs> not surprising. Yeah. I think to me it's more it'd be more surprising if that weren't the case. Uh, I just I feel like I mean you, you, I don't think it's his fault that they are where they are, right? He's he, for years he's done as much as he can with <laughs> with what he's got, which no question has been about kind it. of a miracle when they've done what they've done. Uh, but I mean, I suppose you can make the argument that yeah, you know, guys are a little tuned out now and like games are uglier than they need to be despite all the you know the the young guys that they have and some of that is on the manager but that's i mean where they are right now has nothing to, to do with him yep um so you know you could argue that and that he deserves a chance to help him rebuild but look i mean the rebuild is going to be <laughs> who knows how long the rebuild is going to take right and uh, i mean for all if you're buck like if you're buck you want to be there like even if they wanted you to stay would you want to stay like i don't even know that i would want to stay so um, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not surprised by it. I think they need, in the same sense that they need fresh blood player wise and, and front office wise, they, they could probably use some, some fresh blood there. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see who, you know, even when he is officially not the manager anymore, who comes in to replace him. Cause he, he, he it's funny. Like it's been, what is it? Eight years, nine years since he's, he's been there. He's been there since two th- he's, he's been there since like roughly July 31st of 2010. So yeah. he's been there. And so all of, all of a sudden you turn around and like, bam, eight years. Like, wow, where did that time go? Yep. And so he's, you know, he's obviously not on level of like Earl Weaver, as far as an Orioles institution is concerned, but eight years is a long time, especially in today's major leagues. No question about well, it. Well, let me ask, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, we, we know in the reports about Buck being, uh, relieved after the season is ending, ended. Uh, but then Dan, it looks like he's on his way to an extension. Now, in my opinion, I told Stan, I kind of feel like it should be both of them either stay or both of them either go. I don't think it should be one or the other. Yeah, the, 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 I would agree with you. The, the issue with that, though, is they've gone through what you could argue is the beginning phases of the rebuild, right? Because they had right. made all these trades and they raided some some prospect closets and they brought in you know fifteen fifteen prospects through trades. And he's the guy that was engineering those. I mean, who knows how much input he was having as far as the the players they were getting? But 
he was part of that process. So if you were going to make a change, if you were going to have a different front office guy running the show, you would think that they would have brought that guy in before that. So it's almost like they he's the one who's started this. So you kind of have to let him you know, have to let him go through it. But it, it makes sense. I'm not shocked that if he stays around. I, you know, I think the people there that are making the decisions now, and it's clearly more John and Lewis at this point in time are making the, the bigger decisions. They've been there, and they've watched Dan in action, and I know he's got some warts, but I, I've always argued that I know for a I, – I, I don't know this for a fact, but pretty darn close, that Dan Duquette, knowing how he values – money and and the, the players that earn it would never have signed Chris Davis to this contract on his own. He wouldn't have signed Mark Trumbo, and he sure as hell wouldn't have signed Darren O'Day. And that's an awful lot of the money that this team has tied up right now or did have tied up until they got rid of O'Day. And I just think there's an argument, if you've been watching him, that he hasn't had his hand raised you know, making some of the the bad decisions that the club has made. Yeah, and it's quite possible that if you know if they were to get rid of Duquette, then you say, all right, well, who's going to come in and replace him? Right. And anyone who's going to come in and replace him is not going to be someone who is like a blue chip front office prospect, so to speak. Right. It's going to be someone who's kind of on the scrap heap or someone you're taking a big chance on. Yep. And in the same way that pitchers. I feel like pitchers don't want to come to Baltimore because of Camden Yards, and it's going to kill their numbers, which is going to kill their earning power. You could you could argue that with general managers, same kind of thing. Even though we don't know how the young Angelo's family is going to run the team, it looks like they might do things a little bit differently. But given the history, if you're a front office guy and you look at what's been done, and to your point about Duquette having his hands tied, you'd be like, "Well, shoot, I'm not going there. Like, I can't even make my own decisions. That's going to get ridiculed for the decisions that aren't mine." So, I think it's it's probably a tough spot to fill, even if you wanted to fill it. We're talking with Eddie Matz of ESPN and ESPN.com. And, Eddie, uh, before I know Craig's got some more questions for you, I've got to ask you, do you see this? Uh, here's the one thing that, that I'm opening my eyes to, though. I, don't, I, I know the family well enough and their comfort level. I don't think any of them want to be the guy at the podium when big press conferences are held or anything like that. And there, therefore, I see Dan Duquette getting a boss, though. I don't see him being the be-all, end-all uh, person. I think this is a new manager and a new person above Dan. Uh, and I think I'm not sure Dan gets the free reign that he would like to have. And, and to, to Stan's point real quick, Ed, is that I was talking to somebody at Nats Park yesterday who was uh, informing me that Major League Baseball was not very happy with the Orioles. Right. There's some pressure going on. At this point because they don't know who the point person is with the Orioles uh, and who who they go to to talk to uh, about certain issues. And uh, I would say that has to get straightened out and rectified pretty quickly. That's one of the reasons behind what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, and it will. I mean, those things – when when there are are changes like this that happen, I mean, look, even in Washington, the same thing's happening, right? Mark Lerner took over right. more or less for his father. That transition was relatively seamless. But when ownership groups change, whether it's a complete change or whether it's you know being handed down from one generation to the next generation, there's going to be some gaps. Uh, I think the the good news is 
that they have the whole offseason to kind of figure this out, right? And so if MLB is putting pressure on them, they're not just going to sit there and, and I mean, they want to be in MLB's good graces, I would think. If I'm MLB, I'm more pissed off that they're, that they're like how bad they are, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. They went into the season tanking, but um, <laughs> I think eventually they'll get it straightened out. It's uncomfortable if you're an Orioles fan right now. You know, you hear these things, you read these stories, you see what's on the field. It's uncomfortable. You feel like you're drifting and you're floating and, and, yep. and it, it, it's, a, it's a very uncomfortable feeling. But eventually it will get sorted out. And it, honestly, it, it can't be much worse, if at all, than it was yeah. previously. So I yeah. think the future is bright. It's just a question of how, how far away is that future. It's very interesting. You know, you, clearly your lead dog has to be your team that's on the field. That, that sets the tone of everything. But it's really ironic that the team has been so bad this year. And yet from a marketing perspective, I think the club is sort of leaps and bounds ahead of where they've been the last five or seven years. I think they're doing a lot of things right, uh, and I know each one is a small, uh, you know, a small uh, homage. But I thought the Braille uniforms to celebrate the, uh, you know, the uh, Association of the Blind that's uh, moving here to Baltimore uh, is is important. I think the kids cheer free zone is important. I just see a lot of positives uh, with how they're they're doing the business side of their business. Yeah, I agree. And these guys that speaks to 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 John and Lou and, and the fact that they're you know, they are a different generation. They're not like spring chickens, they're not like thirty three year olds, but yep. they're they're gonna they're gonna understand that more and they know that they are in a position where they need to do things to keep people plugged in. But look, even before that, you know, the Orioles I feel like were the only team in baseball that was allowing people to bring in snacks, coolers and yep. stuff like that. And I think that correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that originated from the previous dry spell when they knew they had to do things to get people to come. So it's not like this is foreign territory for them. They've been there before and they know that they need to, to, to make themselves more attractive to people who, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of choices in the market, whether it's, you know, the Ravens or University of Maryland sports or just, you know, going to see a movie. It's, you know, you gotta, you gotta make your decisions about how you're going to spend your money. Let me ask you something about uh, what we saw last night at Nats Park, which was Jacob DeGrom uh, strike out eight, allowed only run, run on three hits over his uh, stint uh, against the Nationals. He improves the nine and nine. And when you look at the 23 uh, consecutive uh, quality starts and the 28 consecutive outings with three runs or less, is uh, and of course the one seven seven ERA is that going to be good enough uh, to earn him the Cy Young Award this year? Yeah, hundred percent. It's done. It's in the bag. The uh, it's not official yet, but the engraver can definitely start practicing the lowercase D at the beginning of the last name. So wait a minute. Uh, so you're saying you think he does get the Cy Young yeah. Award? That's what. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Okay, percent. It is. It is in the bag. You know, I did a story. In beginning middle of August, this is before Scherzer kind of leveled off a little bit. DeGrom is kind of where he is now because he's been there all year. Nola was pitching well. And for it, I surveyed uh, a, a bunch of would-be Cy Young voters, you know, baseball writers, association uh, people, which are the people that vote on these things. And at that point, it was almost a dead heat between Scherzer and DeGrom. And that was... Like I said, this was when Max had like a 2.1 or 2.2 ERA. Now he's about, you know, was like 2.5 something, I think. 2.53, yeah. And meanwhile, the ground just keeps going out and doing what he's doing. Nola has leveled off. So at this point, it's I, I feel like I was talking about 
I was talking to somebody, another voter last night about this. Even if DeGrom goes out in his last start and gets nobody out and gives up like 12 earned runs and ends up with a, like a 2.8 ERA, I think he would still win it at this point because that's just one blip on an otherwise remarkable season. So for me, all the voters I talked to, there was probably like one or two who said that wins matter a little bit to them. The, uh, every every one of the other people was like, it doesn't matter. Like it just it's absolutely irrelevant. He could go one and nineteen, and if he had these same peripheral numbers, I would still vote for him. That drives me so, out of my mind when yeah. people say that wins don't matter. It's just because the people that play the game, the people that go out there and pitch in the games. They know wins matter. In fact, Jacob DeGrom even said so last night in his post-game press conference. Yeah, no, he, I talked to him. I talked to DeGrom for that story a couple months ago, and he told me, you know, I spent 50 minutes talking to him, and he said the same thing. He said, you know, win, I obviously want to win games because it's, I'm, I'm a pitcher, and if you're staying in the game and long enough to, to get the win, you're giving the, your, your team a chance to win. But at the same time, he, he has no control over the ridiculous weirdness that is the reason that he's only nine and nine you know like the bullpen has, has blown leads the team hasn't scored for him that has nothing to do with his pitching performance absolutely nothing well then well then how do you explain then that scherzer was shut out four times this year there have been a handful of games with one and two run uh, of support for him and yet he still has 17 wins when he should probably have about 23 or 24 to this point you know it. You've seen it, and it's kind of the year he's had. Yeah, well, you explained it, but that, but these are all. I mean, so every situation is different. So right. So so if 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 that doesn't happen for Scherzer, maybe he has more wins. And if it doesn't happen for Degrom, he has more wins. It doesn't like all those other numbers tell you exactly how good the pitcher has been. The other stuff is pure chance. Really, I mean, but, but, but Eddie, let me just let me just jump in. What about all the other? What what is taking away from the peripheral numbers, such as WHIP, where he's lower than Degrom, or at least he was Thursday night? Um, uh, strikeouts, he's number one. I mean, it's not as if it's a slam dunk that Degrom wins on all the peripheral numbers. Don't those numbers matter too? Strikeouts and WHIP. Hundred percent. So it's not. It's not a slam dunk. I'm. I'm oversimplifying it, but I just can't imagine. So if I had to guess, I would. At this point, I would guess the ground's going to win, and he's going to win with like seventy-five percent of. All right, that's so, interesting. It's interesting, but I will say this then about the voters who vote for this kind of thing. Uh, I can start to lump these guys right in with some of the Hall of Fame voters right now. Well, I, I think what we're talking about in a certain sense, and I'm not trying to say, hey, young whippersnappers or right. anything like that, but I'm 66. Ed, how old are you, 43? I'm 47. So, 40, 47. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and I'm imagining most of that, and I'm not saying that every person over 55 is an old fuddy-duddy about statistics and analytics but I'm saying it probably breaks down then that there's a lot more younger voters now taking part in this. For sure, and it doesn't yeah. skew that way. The guys who talked about wins mattering a little bit with the older guys. But look, so two months ago was very different. Right today, or six weeks ago, today the only number that Scherzer has a significant advantage in over DeGrom yeah. is strikeouts. Every other number yeah. is either including innings pitched, including whip, you know, all of them are either – equivalent or DeGrom has a lead and that ERA lead is so big yeah. at this point that it's just I mean like we could this, this, this discussion goes round and round and round and we could sit here 
and discuss it for another hour, we would still never come to resolution because everyone feels differently about it. Well, I know, um, I know the one thing about Scherzer this year, maybe more so this year than any other year in the past, is that when the Nationals, who have basically, other than the month of May, hovered around that 500 mark, either a game or two or three below or a game or two or three above it, every time there was a losing streak that Scherzer was pitching after that losing streak, uh, it got rectified and the Nationals won that game. Uh, That, to me, says something as well. Let me just throw one last argument, Ed, uh, at you. I've always thought of the Cy Young Award winner as the pitching equivalent to the most valuable player. In other words, the most valuable pitcher. If DeGrom wins nine games and the Mets have won about 61 or 62, something like that, and the Nats have won, what, 75, 76, and Scherzer wins 17, where would the Nats be without Scherzer? Wouldn't they be further down the creek than the Mets without DeGrom? So this is what war does. Yeah. Right? So whether you like war or not, and war, war is an inexact science when you yep. love the placement. It's especially inexact when it comes to pitchers. Yep. But this accounts for all those variables and tells you how much the pitcher adds to the team. So so what's a DeGrom's DeGrom, war versus Scherzer? DeGrom's war right now is 8.3, which is obviously tops among pitchers. Okay. Second is Scherzer at 6.8. It's not even close. Okay. Like that, that's a huge difference. He's 1.5. Uh-huh. So he's about 25% above Scherzer's number in value. I'm not going to compare pitcher war to player war. Like, we could look at that and go to ground leads the entire National League in war, so he should be the MVP. I'm not going to do that because I think, like I said, pitcher war is inexact. But the fact that he's that far above, that's the only, when you look at value to the team, if you're making that argument, <laughs> it's not even close. Like the ground's war is, like I said, about 25% higher than Scherzer's. All right. Well, my producer's going to create war on me if we don't take a break. Ed Matz of ESPN.com, thanks very much. You argued your case pretty well. i got to hand it to you. Thanks, and I'll talk to you soon, Ed. All right, guys. Have a good one. All right. And I would say DeGrom argued his case last night as well. (laughs) I would say so, too, as well.